Welcome listeners to another episode of uh, Stump Mike and we've got uh, a bit of a, I can say a bit of a special guest. We've got Wasim Khan. I was going to say the new CEO of the PCB, but he's not so new anymore. <laughs> um, but we've got Wasim Khan uh, at the other end of the line today and we're going to be chatting, I guess, all things Pakistan cricket. First of all, Wasim, welcome to the show. Um, how are you doing and how is the lockdown in Lahore treating you? Yeah, thank you very much and great to join you on this. Um Lockdown, yeah. I mean, um, Sindh, where I mean, Karachi, which is mm. in Sindh, they went on lockdown probably about a week and a half before we did here. <clears throat> excuse me, here in Lahore, and we've been on lockdown now for about nine, ten days. Um, so it's uh, <clears throat> on the one hand, it's quite nice to spend time with the family, um, but also it's uh, it's obviously a new phenomenon for, for everybody all over the world. So uh, I think that's the only comfort you can take from it. I, on the other hand, homeschooling is is more of a challenge than we all thought, than, than all of us parents thought. I think we've been trying to juggle homeschooling with work. Um, I, it, it, I mean, the PCB must be in total lockdown. It must be weird trying to work uh, uh, in an organization like the PCB on lockdown. I guess, right? Yeah, um, it is, but but I think we we've, we've professionalized things quite quite a substantial amount over the last sort of eight ten months, and you know we're all in this world of Zoom now and. Mm. Uh, you know, meetings taking place daily over over the phones and and video calls and and everything else. So, look, the first and foremost, I think, like everyone else, we we needed to react uh, positively and quickly yeah. to protect the health and well being of our staff. And uh, you know, we made sure that we followed government guidelines on that. So, I mean, you know, in in a way, you're looking at other countries around the world, looking at other boards around the world. I, I wouldn't say the PCB was lucky exactly, but I guess. Mm. The, the the fact that this has happened towards the end of the season is, is far better than it happening at the start of the season, right? Yeah, look, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we've we've probably counted we're counting our blessings on that because you know we've we, you know we we lost the Bangladesh Test match and the ODI, and that was the only international um, element that we've lost from our international program for the 2020-21 season. So, uh, sorry, the 19-20 season. So, you know, we've been very fortunate. Um, unfortunately, other countries haven't been, and it's a very, very tough time for them at the moment. Would I, would I be right in saying that the impact on the PSL was a little bit bigger, of course, because, you know, and it's so frustrating because you nearly had this almost pitch-perfect season pulled off, right? The first season of the PSL at home, massive crowds everywhere we went, even during rain hit matches, people were turning up, you know, there was a real buzz going around it. And you were almost there at the end, and then this happens. And I wonder, like, you know, with what happened last season with the production company pulling out because of political reasons and, you know, the PSL being born effectively in Dubai, you start to wonder when you'll get that first perfect PSL season. Yeah, Asman, it's, it's, it's interesting because even at the point of when we had to postpone it uh, on the day of the semifinals, we felt that it'd been a resounding success. You know, for the first time, we brought the whole of the PSL, HBL PSL back to Pakistan, four venues. We perhaps don't have the um, logistical infrastructure other countries do. But it was a huge undertaking to do that and to see, you know, close to 600,000 fans turn up across four venues, across 26 matches. Um, for us, that was a huge success. Um, you know, security, moving players around, airports, hotels, all of those things. You know, the PCB staff worked day and night to make that happen. And you know, a few learnings from that, um, which will help us next year. But I think despite the fact that we had to postpone at the semi-final stage, we felt it was a massive, massive success, particularly based on all the feedback we've had from around the world. Financially, you guys must have seen uh, a massive difference commercially. And, and, you know, without going into details, obviously the fact that it was being held in Pakistan this year 
that's going to have an impact on the commerciality, I guess, of, of, of this of this event, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, HBL have been have been big supporters, so that they've been constant all the way through. But the big upside for us has been around gate receipts. So, you know, averaging sort of 22, 23,000 supporters for all home matches that we've played across the four venues, it's that that's been the big upside as compared to playing in the UAE. But overall, I think it's, you know, the commercial side has been a success. We are currently looking at when we can reschedule uh, the remaining sort of uh, matches to be played in the HBL PSL. And we're confident we'll get those done uh, some some stage, the back end of the year, subject to obviously all, all things going well. I, I was going to ask, actually, because, you know, we ran a news piece recently about what, what could happen now. And obviously, I think there are some voices from the Multan Sultans that, you know, can maybe we call it a season now and we are declared champions. But am I to, am I to say now that that is off the table and that you will definitely reschedule? Or is that still part of yeah. I think from our point of view, the first port of call is to try and ensure that we we get the remaining matches played. I think first and foremost, Um, I think there are two small windows that we have identified at the back end of the year, because ideally you probably need no more than three or four days. um, Um, So we're just working that out. We're going to be taking the views of the franchise owners into it, um, get their views on it look at what potential format we can play. Because if you remember the initially, it was based on qualifiers and eliminated and then the final. And then we then we moved to semifinals and a final just based on the short, trying to create a shorter window um, because of sort of safety reasons um, sort of around the coronavirus. So um, we are looking at that. And we're confident that we can get that done. Um, there's no fun, right, in just handing it over to Multan Sultans at the moment, although they'll probably be pushing for that. <laughs> you expect that. Um, but, you know, we, we're our first port of call to try and make it happen. If we can't then make it happen, then I think that as other other leagues around the world have done is they declare a winner. And I think them being on top, that would probably be the case. And, you know, next year, I think next season is the last uh, PSL season in the current kind of commercial cycle, right? Am I am I right in thinking that in yeah, the broadcast the, cycle? The, yeah, the media rights. Yeah, the media so, rights. Having seen how the PSL, you know, was going this year, do you think there's a chance that, you know, in the in the season beyond that, maybe we could be looking at an expansion, maybe getting another franchise in at all, or uh, is that something that's on the table? Yeah, look, I think first and foremost, I think it's really important for us that the franchises start making profits Hmm. and they start making money. And of course, if you've got more franchises, then you know there's there's an extra one then to kind of share share the money across. So, you know, we're trying to make sure first and foremost that um, we can make these franchises sustainable. Uh, We do have plans of increasing the number of teams, um, perhaps not next year, but potentially we can start to look in 2022. Okay. Um, Just as importantly, Osman, we're starting to, we want to to increase the number of venues from next year as well. Yeah. Yeah. That that, that makes absolute sense, I guess. Yeah. How far are like the franchises from becoming profitable. And like, I know, you know, we looked at the IPL model early on, and of course, it was known that franchises wouldn't be profitable for a fair few seasons. Is that, is that, are you seeing any move towards kind of profitability for some of these franchises? Uh, yeah, we, we certainly are. Uh, and obviously the different franchises came in at, uh, at different, with different values that they've paid. So obviously some will start to reap the benefits and move into profitability quicker than others. Uh, but, you know, we are here, we are here for the long game. I think that this year has proved that hosting it in Pakistan, um, we can make a huge success of it. And this will only get bigger and better. And I think moving forward, that it'll really start to pay dividends for the franchise owners. Okay. Um, you know, one, one of the other things that I guess now has been 
put on slight hold, maybe I'm not sure actually, you, you can probably enlighten us a little bit, is that the, the PCB's broadcast deal was coming up for renewal this year, wasn't it? And that's for the PCB's, so Pakistan's international matches effectively, not the PSL as such, um, but Pakistan's international matches, that was coming up for renewal this year. Um, one, is that is that still an ongoing conversation or has it been put on hold from because of the coronavirus lockdown? No, look, not at all, because I think that, you know, it's business as usual behind the scenes. And I think you know, every organization, every company operates the same ways that, you know, unfortunately, you can't stand still for yeah. a month, two months with where we're at. So, you know, one, one of our goals uh, and one of the things we're focusing on at the moment is, is the new media broadcasting rights. Uh, quite rightly, um, 10 have now completed their deal with us. So we're now um, just just starting to put together the scope of what it could look like for us moving forward, both domestic and international. So that's going to occupy our time in the next um, next two or three months. But certainly we'll be looking to go to market um, pretty soon uh, once we get our ducks in a row internally. And I, I think, you know, uh, just uh, looking at it as a dispassionate kind of analysis, the, the market, the broadcast market is the cricket broadcast market specifically, I don't think has is in an especially healthy state right now. Isn't there? I don't think there's that many options other than a few big broadcasters. And, you know, PCB has had a good relationship with one of them, at least for a while. Um, but also with the fact that there are not any bilateral India matches scheduled, you know, in the next, in the next few years, I guess that's going to, that's going to kind of lower down what you guys might expect from a broadcast rights deal in normal times. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we need to be innovative and perhaps a bit creative on how we look at our next right cycle. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, we, you know, India is no longer on the table. So, you know, we're going to have to look at other ways. You know, we've got good international markets as well. We've got a huge diaspora in England. We've got a huge diaspora in Canada and America. And I think we've really got to start to think differently about how we sell our rights, particularly our international rights. So, you know, we, we've been focusing with our India for a while now. Um, we have to look forward and look ahead. And that's certainly what we're trying to do. Uh, we won't really know the impact in terms of the values that we can get until we actually get into the marketplace. But certainly one of the things that we are doing and we are looking at, we're looking at market trends. We're looking at what we need to be doing differently uh, rather than just going out in your conventional way in terms of trying to sell your broadcasting rights. There's so many different platforms, different players out there now. And we're just doing that now. We're bringing in expertise to support us on that so that we're, we're ready to go in the next couple of months. Okay. I mean, you know, one of the things that doesn't get maybe highlighted often enough is that the PCB have actually, have actually kind of shown a way of being able to survive and maybe even thrive to an extent without having the, 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 the crutch of a, of an India bilateral series, you know, in international cricket for the last however many years now, five, six years, you know, it's been known that Pakistan won't play India and yet the PCB have somehow managed to get along and actually made the most of that situation. Yeah, uh, and we, we, you know, we've we've been planning very hard over the last twelve months, and we already started our contingency planning actually a while ago. Just starting to look at, you know, bearing in mind around the broadcasting deal, what that could look like, what we might lose on that, and looking at what we then need to do internally. And you know, the PCB have, has remained healthy for a period of time, quite rightly, as you say. Um, so we've had to, you know, but there have been some things that are, that have had to sort of go on the back burner, if you like, and perhaps one of the areas that we've not been able to invest as much in has perhaps been around our sort of pathway systems, mm. our domestic 
cricket, etc. All of the things that we've addressed, and you know, we've gone from sixteen teams down to six, yep. trying to yep. improve the quality of the, of cricket that's been played. So we're constantly thinking on our feet. Um, our chairman Hassan Mani is a very well-renowned sort of chartered accountant, ex-president of the ICC, uh, and it's been great. And he and I have worked very, very closely together to try and uh, ensure that the PCB remains sustainable and is sustainable for the long term. So you, in fact, you touched upon the the domestic changes, which I was going to get to now anyway. Actually, um, you know, the massive changes this season, fairly well documented. That you know, for the first time, pretty much ever, Pakistan decided to get rid of its departments from the domestic cricket structure and relied solely on provincial associations. Um, there's been a number of things that have that have emerged from from this change, and it's probably the biggest change I think that has been made to a, an, an ever changing domestic structure in the last however many years. Um, the first thing I think, and, and it was the biggest impact certainly that we felt as reporters, you know, we spoke to players, uh, the, the players' earnings have been hit, right? And, and this is something that they weren't happy about hmm. um, throughout the season. Is there something that you guys have done to address that? I mean, you, you must have known as well from the start that, you know, th- this is going to happen. 50,000 rupees is not enough for Kaidazan player, you know, trophy players to kind of live off on, on, yeah. on a monthly basis. Yeah. Look, the, the, the challenge that we faced was that, on the one hand, you were speaking to a lot of people who were saying, you know what, um, what's happening internationally with Pakistan? We were, we were sitting seventh in ODI cricket, sixth in test cricket was, was happening because our domestic structure wasn't strong enough. Now you know, now you need to go and do something about it. When we started to do something about it, people were then saying, well, actually people are losing jobs from this. What are you going to do about it? So you know, from a cricketing point of view, um, you, you sort of forge ahead with what you believe is to try and make mm. Pakistan on one of the top nations in the world from a cricket perspective long term. But from the human element, you absolutely have to look at, um, you know, the fact that the departments provided, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, well-being and they provided sort of medical insurance and they provided salaries for players. But what we've tried to do is we said from the beginning that, look, there are 194 players who are contracted with the, with across the six cricket associations. Mm. We will look to all things going well, keep improving the packages that we provide for them. But, you know, it was very much a finger-in-the-air job when we launched the domestic structure last October. Mm. And these are some things that, the things that will keep improving and keep getting better. You know, we want players who are not involved now to become umpires, officials, coaches. You know, we're starting to do a lot of that stuff to try and use these guys back into the system because – with the six cricket associations this month, what you're going to have is six very much autonomous bodies. You're going to have club cricket going on. You're going to have city cricket associations and you're going to have schools cricket going on. So we need coaches. We need officials. We need people involved at every level of the game. Mm-hmm. Something that we're certainly trying to say, well, look, if we're losing a bit here, how can we make up for it in other areas to try and utilize the skills and the passion of these, of these players to keep them involved? But I'm just saying that the, the, the pay thing will become a, a, a more and more urgent issue, won't it? The, the longer it goes on and the longer you hear stories of players, first-class players who are saying that, you know, we've taken up Uber driving, for example. Yeah. I think, enough money. That, that will become an urgent thing for you guys, won't it? Yeah, I think there's a bit of sense, quite a, you know, a lot of sensationalism going on around that as well. So there was recently, I think, um, a video out about uh, a, a rickshaw driver who's a former player. But what they state, didn't state was he was dropped by his department four years ago. So, you know, you yeah, saw... Really- a bit of that. I agree. There is a bit of that. But the yeah. bottom line is that, you know, they're, they're expected to be about 50,000 a month. 
right? If I, finish, if I can just finish on that point. Yeah. Um, so um, UBL, HBL closed their cricket departments down, yeah. which had nothing to do with the PCB. So I think that, you know, in terms of the trend and the finances that a lot of these departments have, there's only one or two actually who paid the players well. And we did a comparison in terms of what players were getting paid with the departments. Many of them were part-time. Some of them were on three-month contracts. Some of them were on six months, 12-month contracts. And only the very, very top players were actually getting a decent salary. So I think there's a bit of misconception, actually, about what players were actually earning because the average player was was no better off or worse off involved in our system than what they were when they were working with the departments. I'm sure the definition of the average player would differ whoever you spoke to, but, okay, point taken. Um, the other, The other side, the flip side of this is that you know, the, this cost is now coming out centrally from the PCB, right? Yeah. All this cost for the next, I, I would guess the next couple of years at least before provincial associations can set up on their own, which is, you know, the cost of salaries and stuff, for example, would not have been that high on the PCB because they would have been paying for regional players as opposed to department players before who were getting salaries. So, you know, how, how long is that financially sustainable for the PCB to be, you know, shelling out a chunk of, of, of its money on this for the next few seasons? Yeah, look, it cost us a billion rupees um, to run the first class game. We, you know, PCB, like no other cricket board in the world, pretty much runs everything, which is not sustainable. So a big part of the six cricket associations was to decentralize, was to try and make them more autonomous so that we can reinvest the money in other areas. So one of the things that we're still aiming to do is to bring sponsors in before the start of the season in October so that it can cover at least 50% of the costs so roughly we look at around about 220 million rupees per cricket association. That includes running 11 cricket, three-day cricket, four-day cricket, everything from hotels to everything. So that's our aim. And we're in advanced talks with um, various corporates and departments to, to actually bring them on board that will actually support that. So that will help us massively. Would you, would you go back to some of the departments that were already involved in domestic cricket? I mean, is that where you guys have gone first? Yeah, absolutely. We have spoken to departments. Um, so there's one or two which are very live conversations at the moment. Okay. Uh, which we're actually um, involved with and we're talking to at the moment as well as others. So, you know, we're hoping to progress that. Um, and that's something that I think that can grow and will develop, but it's certainly not sustainable for us to keep um, covering all the costs for first class cricket and everything involved with domestic cricket for the next two or three years. I'm imagining that it will not be a, a, a hugely easy sell to departments who were involved, you know, who had a team set up first, who had a cricket set up first, to go to them now and say, well, you know, if you kind of work with us and look after an association, but the association will not be named, for example, you know, the Habib Bank Limited or PIA or whatever, it will not be named that. Uh, it, it, you know, in terms of telling them, selling to them what's in it for them, uh, is that that's going to be not going to be easy, right? No, but, but actually one of the things we are offering them is the nomenclature. So it would be called okay. something like that. So the okay. HBL, sort of central, whatever. So, so there's, there's sort of rights and benefits that as part of the sponsorship package that have been put together that we've actually presented to the departments um, around sort of Pakistan. So that there is there is that element to it um, in terms of being involved. And, and there was some talk, uh, I, I believe it was actually mentioned in a press conference at some point that there is, some talk about looking at a window for potentially a domestic tournament that does involve departments uh, from the next season. 
Is that something that's been built upon at all? Yeah, we have, we have actually created that window. So when we spoke to players and we spoke to the departments about how, you know, how we could soften the blow or is there anything that we could do, one of the things that came back quite strongly was, look, if you could create a small window for us to perhaps even play a departmental department cup, it would give us the opportunity to keep a lot of these players on our books. You know, you forget that a lot of the departments, they invest across many sports, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and they're involved and they have their budgets around that. So that's certainly something in our tentative scheduling that we've put together for 2020-21. We have factored that in. And, and would that, um, it would be a short format tournament, I, I would imagine, yeah. like uh, maybe a yeah, over thing or something. What we've actually done at the moment is we've just factored a window. So okay. in terms of format they would like to play, that would, that would be open up for debate with the departments around, you know, what they would like to play. It would, I would suspect it would probably be end up sort of being a, a 50 over competition or a T20 competition or whatever it might be during that period. Are, are you in a position to tell us what that window, when that window might be in the, in the season? Uh, not as yet, because okay. we all done is we produced a tentative one at the moment. What I'd hate to say is this is what we're looking at and then it moves to us to a different time. But, you know, it's something that I'm hoping in the next sort of six to eight weeks we'll be able to firm firm down, obviously subject to, you know, um, the coronavirus situation improving and getting better. Um, you know, we are hoping that there'll be a, a firm slot from when we can um, allow the sort of departments or give them that opportunity to play to play competitive cricket. Okay. Have you have you had any chance to get some feedback from players about how the season has gone? Because, you know, we've had feedback, both good and bad. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the I guess the downsides of it, are, like I said, mentioned earlier with the, with the pay, but players were happy with, with the schedule that they had, you know, breaks between matches, that the pitches seemed to be uh, maybe too batting friendly, but, you know, that it's probably because the pitches are becoming better than they have been for the last few seasons. Have you have you had any feedback from, from the players that you've spoken to? Yeah, just just to firstly on that, we we've set up we set up a review group with players. We set up a coaching review group uh, to get their feedback as well, um, so that we could start to think about the areas that we know we needed to improve and get better. So th- the whole purpose, I mean, we introduced something called the no toss rule, which England you'll be aware of that England had for a couple of years because you know we had a situation where the average score in our first innings in domestic cricket was two hundred and thirty three, which is even below Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the least around the world. So, you know, one of the areas we've struggled in test cricket has been around batting time and, you know, having good techniques. So, you know, medium paces were getting the majority of wickets and the top 40 wicket takers, there are no spinners. So it was something we needed to do something about. And in fact, probably if we've been overly critical, it's probably gone too much the other way now, where I think the average score was something like 325 in the first innings yeah. um, and getting more difficult. So, you know, something that we've got to keep reviewing. We had Andy Atkinson from the ICC come in to look at our wickets, how groundsmen are preparing. He's going to come back and run some workshops so we can start to produce good four-day wickets that allow spinners to come into the games in sort of back end of day three and four. But, you know, allow you know makes bowlers work for the wickets and batters, you know, who get opportunity to bat time. So we, we need wickets that are like that around the country. We don't have that at the moment. I think you know, we'd love to be in a situation where Australia is where, you know, you go to a ground and you know how the wickets are defined and what you're going to get. Yeah. I think that would be our long-term aim. But, you know, there, there are things such as, you know, facilities, training facilities that still need to be improved. You know, we need to make sure the hotels that we book for the teams have got swimming mm. pools so they can, they can do their, you know, um, you know, sort of um, warm downs and various other things. So there's a number of things that we've got a list of 
that we've got action plans in place for. And then, of course, in Asmani, it comes to, well, what can we afford to do if we don't get sponsors? Yeah. And what are the most critical things, two or three things that we absolutely need to get right for moving forward? You know, we've said we want to improve the money for domestic cricketers. That's one thing that stays at the top of our agenda. And then what else can we do? You know, wickets, uh, net facilities, hotels, the way players travel. These are all the things that I think that I said from the beginning when we launched this. You know, we're only really going to start to see the impact of this sort of three years plus and things starting to settle down. We'll still have teething issues before that. We started using the Kookaburra ball because that's what mm. we use internationally. So we've tried to do everything. We're trying to create that level of professionalism that other countries have got. And I think that in order to bed that down, it takes time. You only really start to see the results of that sort of from three years plus. Is, is it fair to say that, uh, this is probably the last question on domestic for now, but is, is it fair to say that there was a certain amount of pressure from, from, well, the prime minister himself, actually, Imran Khan, he's long been an advocate of regional cricket and, you know, doing away with departments. Was there a fair bit of pressure from, from that end to get this in place now? Whereas ideally you would have liked maybe another season to scope out the scene for sponsors and maybe plan it just a little bit better before it got done. Yeah, look, you know, you, you know, it's it's been well documented. He's always been a big supporter of the Australian system. So, you know, the, the meeting, certainly meeting that I had, you know, he certainly stated his preference of what he felt it should look like. Mm-hmm. And when I came in back in February of last year, um, and the wheels already in motion around this, I know that in the first year it was always budgeted from October that we would fund the first year to get it up and running. It would give us time to start bringing sponsors, everything else. So. I think, we, you know, things had already been, the wheels already in motion by the time I got here in February of last year. And I think, you know, if we're going to do it, let's do it now. Let's mm-hmm. not wait. If we believe it's the right thing to do and we know how we're going to go about in terms of delivering it, let's get on with it. And I think that's been the mantra when we've got in in the last 12 months in terms of getting international cricket back, the PSL back, all those things. Let's just get on and get things done. Just, uh, just moving, I, I guess, to a more international outlook now. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk, um, at the ICC now about, you know, what happens to their schedule. We've got the World Test Championship, which was underway in Pakistan. It chalked up a couple of wins. Suddenly they were looking good. The team was coming together. Um, there's the World T20 that's going to happen later this year. Hopefully, if things, you know, if things, if things do well, you would have been involved in some kind of preliminary discussions, I guess. What, what what is it looking like right now as far as international cricket goes and the ICC goes? What are the kind of sounds you're hearing about what happens to the World Test Championship, for example? And is there a contingency in place for the World T20? Yeah, look, what, one, one of the things that I think all the countries are now busy doing is putting contingency plans in place. You know, we're seeing at the moment with the ECB, you know, um, horribly for them, their summer is, is going to be impacted. So they've been working hard behind the scenes, looking at what they can do from an, uh, from a cricketing perspective, what things they need to be planning for. And, and, you know, and you always have different options with any contingency plan. So we've started that early. Um, we've actually got a, a call with the other chief executives later this month on the 21st of April to discuss the, the impact um, from a, a local level in terms of what that looks like for all of us. Uh, clearly, there are huge ramifications and repercussions if the Cricket World Cup doesn't happen. I think that's pretty well documented because of the level of finances involved. Uh, we've also got the Asia Cup in September, which, um, you know, with, with countries like ourselves involved in that, from which there's finances involved in terms of what we receive because we were the hosts initially. Um, so, you know, we've got a, a Zimbabwe series in, in November. 
We've got South Africa at home in uh, January. So, you know, th- there are a number of factors that impact broadcasting at a local level, your bro- broadcasting revenue, the the finances you receive from international ICC tournaments, what you receive, the sponsorship commercials from bilateral series. So th- th- all of these things impact you. So every country will have their own challenges, but fundamentally there's pro- we're probably all united in one way, and that is that, you know, there's a huge threat for the game at the moment. Uh, which I know the ICC are planning vigorously behind the scenes, but it impacts all of us around our sustainability because we rely hugely, more countries, you know, some countries more than others, on ICC funding. And as soon as ICC tournaments um, are sort of canned or pushed to one side because of this coronavirus, it has a huge financial impact on many, many countries. Well, I was just going to say, actually, that you know, just, just before this happened, one of the big discussion points that were shipping up to kind of dominate, I think the March March meetings of the ICC was, you know, talk about this extra ICC event in the in the next cycle. The ICC are very keen to have an extra ICC event, and I think a lot of boards uh, are keen. But obviously, you know, the the, the big well, not the big objections, but the concerns I think were expressed by by the, by the big three boards: India, Australia, and England. Where you know, where does the PCB stand? Does it does it have a stance on whether they want an extra ICC event in the next cycle? But look, um, you know, in, in the in the sort of current ICC cycle, um, you know, a certain number of events have been had been factored in. Uh, I think I think what the ICC has been proposing has been eight events in eight years of of some ICC proportions. Um, so look for for us who don't play India, you know, our view would be uh, pretty straightforward, and that is that you know we we need the extra income to allow us to invest in everything we do. So therefore, the additional um, two tournaments or one tournament will make a huge financial difference to us where we're slightly challenged a little bit is that we've also been starved of test cricket Now, bilateral cricket and playing test more test cricket has been on the agenda now something over the last 12 months we've been driving really hard to start to look at three test match series and playing more test cricket to expose our players and give them the opportunity but ultimately playing more tournaments it, you know something has to give and particularly with tight schedules um, so, you know, we at the moment, uh, I think, are keeping our options open. We're opening to listening to both sides of the debate. But ultimately, where we fall the side of is anything that can provide us and help us with more income, because we don't play India, is certainly something that's going to be welcomed from us. Do you think, I mean, and I guess they would actually now, but I would imagine that it's uh, assumed that the PCB would probably bid for maybe an ICC event in the next cycle. Is that a possibility at least? Yeah, definitely. Look, having having successfully run uh, the HBL PSL this year here, you know, we've had international teams coming over over the last sort of couple of years. Mm. The feedback from a lot of the players, particularly, you know, the likes of your Shane Watsons, your Jason Roy's, a lot of the overseas players who've come to Pakistan, you know, you've probably seen a lot of their quotes and they're all saying Pakistan is now ready for international cricket to return fully. Uh, and I guess on the back of that, having sort of planned and implemented security uh, plans that we've put in place and, and successfully hosted now uh, a number of events and you know the the PSL and bilateral cricket. We genuinely believe now we're we're in a good position um, to host ICC events from 2023 to 31, and we certainly will be um, applying for various events during that period of time. You're you know you're you're right at the forefront of this because you're the chief executive of leading board, and and this question is going to impact you directly. Uh, as it will all the other chief executives, but but this next calendar that you know the chief executives will get together, the boards will get together to to make this next calendar. You, various things you've got, you know, some boards like PCB want to play more test matches, more ICC events are in the mix. Some boards like India want to have quadrangular series with you know ODI series with Australia, England, and a and other. 
how how difficult is this next calendar going to be uh, realistically to put together? Um, and and at what cost is it going to happen? You know, there's a lot of talk of four-day test matches, uh, uh, what the PCB stance is on that as well. But how difficult is that calendar going to be to put together? Yeah. Uh, you know, in your in your case, you know, you're going to be right at the forefront of it. Yeah, I mean, look, first and foremost, we're, we're in favour of five-day test matches. Uh, we believe okay. that... You know, Test, test cricket has its uniqueness, but the other the, the area that we think that well we know that is an area we want to play more and get involved more is around day night cricket, day night test. Cricket. So we've kind of we've tried to do that. We played a recent one in Australia. We're very happy to do that, and you know we, we will do that. But you know we have light issues, as you know, Asman in Pakistan. Mm. So the PCB has to- been an early adopter of of the day night test matches anyway. You know they've yeah. played I yeah. think the second most after Australia as it is. I think yeah. And, and of course, you know, playing um, test matches in Pakistan at various times of the year is a challenge in itself because the light comes in pretty quickly. If you reduce that to four days, you, you lose a certain number of overs that you would normally mm. be playing with a test match. So that's that on that point of view. And um, so, you know, we it's going to be jam-packed, the next schedule, that's for sure. Everybody, I think all the different boards will have different perspectives of what they want to get out of the Future Tours program. Uh, and that will come down to individual preferences and choices. For us, as I said, we want to play more of the the other nations, such as Australia, um, Aust- uh, England, England, New Zealand, yeah. perhaps, and India, of course, you know, uh, moving forward. And, you know, that's something that we lose out on by not doing. We have total respect for, you know, all the other countries, but, you know, they benefit from playing um, a lot more cricket against India, for example. We don't mm. play... England as much as we probably like to, although England have been hugely accommodating to Pakistan in, in terms of, you know, I think three or four summers in a row now we're in England. You know, five playing summers, some in fact. Yeah, it's been five yeah. summers, I think. Yeah. We've always been, you know, good friends of, of Pakistan cricket and, you know, helped us with that. And we want, to, we want to play more test cricket. But, you know, ultimately we've got to balance these things out, Asman. You know, we need money in order to run cricket. We need money to stay, you know, competing with the, the, the big three. Um, you know, there's clearly what we don't want is a disparity developing between some of the other nations and, and, and the big three countries so that, you know, we want international cricket to be competitive. They want it to be competitive. What you don't want is a three horse race in pretty much everything that's run. So it's mm. important that we have the finances to do that. And we can only have the finances to do that if we're receiving more money, we're generating more money. Uh, and so these are all the things that we've got to take into account. Uh, we've also, you look, we might have a, a vision of wanting to play Australia more or England more or, you know, play India. But look, if their, if their vision is very different in terms of what they want their next future tours program to look like, then, you know, both areas aren't going to mix. So there's always going to be an opportunity cost um, attached yeah, to, to, you know, playing more four days or more white ball, you know, more test cricket or playing more white ball cricket. Have you, have you, what's your reaction or what's the PCB reaction been, I guess, to the World Test Championship? Is, is it something I know, you know, Mani Saab is, of course, a, a, a fan of Test cricket. He wants, you know, Test cricket to thrive. I'm, I'm sure you are as well. But the World Test Championship, you, you guys have got generally good feedback on it. You think it's a, it's a good idea and that it should continue? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we sort of spoke to our players and I think our players felt that it provided context. I think that word context gets used a lot. Um, I think that having that, I think we needed something for test cricket to hold on to rather than just sort of year after year of playing test cricket and nobody really understanding, well, what does it mean to win a test series and where, where does it lead you to? Um, so I think the test championship was a, a really good idea. It was needed. Um, and it's just unfortunate that obviously with 
um, the coronavirus that, uh, you know, it, it's going to have an impact. We don't know how that's now going to pan out for the 2021 final that was that was um, already in the diary. We'll have to look at that. And I'm sure that's something that we'll discuss as chief executives when we when we talk later this month. Mizbah yesterday, I think just just yesterday, called for a fair and equal resolution, right, to the World Test Championship because I think we've got till March 21 when all all kind of matches have to be fit have to be fit in basically for the league to kind of go ahead. Uh, that's going to be pretty uh, an urgent discussion point, isn't it? When whenever you guys next chat. Yeah, it is, and you know the, the, you've also had debates and and, and discussions and, and arguments around. Well, you know, well, how can you have a test championship if some countries don't play against each other or some are yeah, playing five yeah. series, others are playing two test match series? So, you know, th- there is a huge debate around that. Again, like I said, we're not in an ideal world, um, you know, and so but I mean, the, the positive thing about a test championship is that, you know, it gives you something to, to work towards, you know, two cycles of two years gives you something to walk, to walk towards. But, you know, as, as Ms. Bar said, you know, it's going to be a hot topic, no doubt, when we speak around, well, how do we see this now moving forward? Okay. And, and just coming towards the end now, and, and we brought up Misbah, I guess. So the, the big question, of course, is on, you know, Misbah's many roles that he has now taken on in, in Pakistan cricket. How is that working out? Are you guys still comfortable with the fact that he is a head coach and uh, and, and selector? I mean, I'll give you just one example, you know, is of the potential conflicts of interest here is that if, if a player is struggling for form in the side, you know, he, he looks to the coach for mentorship, for, for, for advice. But if that coach is also the guy who's responsible for dropping him, uh, and he has to make that call about, you know, whether should I work with him to, to help him improve or should I drop him in the short term and get somebody else in? That to me and to many people, that sounds like, uh, it, it constitutes a conflict of interest, not a financial yeah. one, but a conflict of interest in the players, in the players future. Look, one of the things I will say, that I'm not convinced about that argument. Because, look, if you go to a head coach, imagine the head coach and the, and the chief selector's roles are separate. So you've got a chief selector over there who's different. Mm. Head coach here. The head coach will have an input when he speaks to the chief selector about players anyway. So if a player goes to him and he's struggling, then that's one of the things that the head coach will take into account when he's It'll asked to input, provide. Right? It'll be input only. Yeah, but it'll be input also, also, but the input will be important. So if a head coach doesn't believe a player should be in that environment because he's struggling for form or loses confidence, you know, the, the selectors will not select that player, you know, because the head coach is on the ground. He's seeing the player day in, day out. So I don't, I'm not sure whether that's a strong argument, if I'm honest. I think that um, New Zealand have had this model for a period of time where the head coach is also the chief selector. The reason why we did it was that, um, you know, there was always arguments or question marks about who was ultimately accountable. So is is a head coach accountable who inherits a side and then has to select the best 11? He may not want three or four of those players in that, in that squad. Or is it the chief selector who provides the head coach with that squad, believing it to be the very best squad that, that he's given him? So we just felt that there's an opportunity. I don't think... Anybody can just do this type of role, the dual role. I think you've got to be a certain type of person to do it. Um, you've got to be somebody who's very clear and very strong to do that. Um, but you know, we've been, we've been happy because we've seen progress over the last two months. You know, Ms. Bus started slowly, but you've seen against Bangladesh mm. and Sri Lanka that the type of, we were pretty emphatic in the test series, uh, against Sri Lanka and against Bangladesh in the first test. So we're starting to move in the right direction. I always said from the beginning that, you know, you've got to give these things time. And you have to allow them to unfold. But, you know, we'll always keep a watching brief on it. If it becomes too much for Ms. Spani, he holds his hand up at any stage and says, look, it's too much. 
or we don't believe that you know it's that that system is performing as we want it to perform you know we'll always hold our hand up and we'll always be flexible but right now it's working it's working well I, I, I it's also a question you know I, I see what you're saying of course and and Ms. Bar, I think we both agree probably Ms. Bar is you know one of the guys who you would kind of least doubt to want to benefit from a situation like this but uh, it, it, the, the flip side that strikes me is how players feel about this. And, you know, having spoken of the conversations with a few players, a few ex-players, of course, you know, they, they say that it, 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 it is something that they would be uncomfortable with, maybe in the sense that, you know, you're, you're going to a guy, you're not sure in what capacity you're going to him with. And we know that players crave clarity. Uh, you know, the, the, how, how the function better is when they crave clarity of other people's functioning. Um, and so I, I just wonder, whether that has an impact on a player going up to who's he going up to? Is he going up to Misbah the coach? Is he going up to Misbah the selector? Maybe it doesn't matter, but I, I suspect that for some players it does matter. Look, it's 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 a tough one because you know whether you play domestic cricket, international cricket, coaches will like certain players. You know, players won't like certain coaches, uh, and you know that relationship is you know is is a personal one between the player and the individual. And you know a lot of the time, you know people people go with the individual. So the biggest trust factor that, that players need to have is with the individual. So if you take the hats off of a coach and a, and a chief selector, what do you have? You have the human being standing in front of you. So the most important thing for me is that you need to build trust between the player and the head coach. Now, yes, it will work for some people. Some will look at Miss Barr and say he's a chief selector and a head coach. I can't go to him. Mm. And others will say, actually, it doesn't matter because I'm going to Miss Barr because I trust him. So, you know, the important thing, I think, for any head coach is to build that trust with the players. There's six other selectors who sit on that selection panel, you know, and I know for an absolute fact that the types of debates and discussions that take place, Misbah doesn't always get his own way because there are some mm. strong characters on there. We've got Nadim Khan who sits there as a coordinator as well, who holds his own in those meetings. Mm. So, you know, look, this type of system, because it's different, Osman, is never going to work for everybody. But we believe yeah, that in yeah. terms of right now, I've had some players who say, look, it works really well. So it will come down to individual preferences. But I do totally take your point that it's not going to work for everybody. And if it doesn't work for everybody, we need to make sure we understand what their issues are and what we can do about it. Yeah, I, I think the key also to this, if it works or not, is, is probably down. I, I, you alluded to it, that it's down to Misbah and the way he is and that he, he does command a certain level of respect among players, among players who have played under him as captain, among players who have seen him over the last seven years. I think he does command that bit of respect. And so if, you know, if, if it could work for anyone, maybe out on, if you're going out on a limb, you would say it works for him, uh, with him rather yeah, more, look, more than I anything. I would absolutely agree with that. I think that this isn't a role you can just give anybody. I think you've got to be convinced about the character of the person. We were absolutely convinced that Miss Barr could carry these roles off with the right level of support. If he was sitting on his own, he had no selectors and there was nobody sitting in between the selectors and him and he didn't have the structure around him, it would be a very difficult job. But he has all of those things. And we're constantly speaking to him, making sure he's happy with the workloads, etc. So he can just focus on the coaching side of things. Um, you know, and it does it does come down to the individual. But Miss Baza, he's a good human being. He, he, you know, he bleeds Pakistan through and through. Um, he, as you say, he commands the respects because he's led from the front. And let's not forget, Osman, mm. what he inherited in 2010 when he became captain. Mm. You know, yeah, he's gone through a, absolutely. You know, and he's had a huge amount of experience, and he's done a lot. And you know, I've always been a believer that you know players who have represented their country in Pakistan deserve the respect. 
whether you've played one test match or you've played 100 test matches. So I believe that Misbah deserves the respect to be given an opportunity and given a chance and give him time. You know, everybody needs time. And to, to kind of heap pressure on him, I think, in the first couple of months as, you know, there was there. I think it's, it's tough on him. And look, some people will like him, some won't. That's human choice, human preference. But give the guy an opportunity to prove himself. And, and he backs himself. And we back him that we, we believe he's going to be a success. Okay. And just finally, Wasim, you know, we're kind of going back to how we started this conversation. You'll have seen that a lot of boards or a few boards are, you know, talking about pay cuts for players. Players have volunteered in some cases themselves. Um, and that, you know, that's depending on, on the financial situation of that, of that board at that current time. But is, is that something, and you said at the start of the show that, you know, PCB is okay for the moment. Um, but is that something that's been discussed at all? The possibility of, of, you know, because there's not going to be any action for the next couple of months at least. Is that something that's been discussed at all within the PCB about whether, uh, there might be some kind of reduction in salaries for players or for officials or anything like that. Is that, does that come up at all as a, as a topic? Yeah, look, I, I think that, you know, in situations like this, you discuss a number of topics. One of the areas that we're not going to compromise on is what we play, we pay our men players and what we pay our women players. I think that, you know, we will prioritize them. I think that, you know, you alluded to it very early on in that question, Osman, that, you know, other countries pay different amounts. Uh, but for our guys, you know, it's, you know, we are steadily trying to improve what they can earn. And what we also realize that they're not the top earners around the world, you know, hence why we've changed our NOC policy now, which allows them to play in three, three overseas tournaments as well as the PSL so that, you know, we can find the balance between giving the guys the opportunity to earn what they should be earning at the pinnacle of their careers, but also manage their workloads. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we don't want to do is having started to make progress with the players and salaries and various other things that the international cricket has earned is to start to go backwards. So we're going to do everything in our power to ensure that we don't compromise on that during these difficult times. And if we need to cut in other areas across programs and other things that we do, so be it, we'll aim to do that. But we certainly don't have any intention at this stage. Great. Wasim Khan, thank you very much for coming on the show and giving us your time. Um, and we hope to speak to you again soon at some point. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. This was ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and every other major podcast platform. Until next time, stay clean, stay safe.